We're going to be over in Mark chapter 2. There was a story of an old man, one of the older men in, this, in the town, little town, that uh, some, some folks were driving through. And this, this guy came out. He, he didn't own the gas station. His son owned the gas station. But he would come out and he would sometimes just sit at the gas station and watch the people as they would come by. This particular day, his granddaughter came to him with, to, the, to the gas station. And he sat down in the rocker and they got a little rocker right there. And she just sat down in the little rocker. And as they were sitting there and some of the people would come by, one person came by and they you know, like a, looked like a tourist. But they were actually looking for a, a place to move to. And they were considering this town. And so he came up to the person and he, he, said, uh, he said, Sir, do you live around here? He says, Yeah, I lived here a long, long time. He says, uh, we're, we're looking to move. I just wondered what kind of town this is. And so he said to him, he says, well, what kind of town did you come from? He says, oh, where I came from, they're very critical people. They're kind of nasty. They're not real friendly and things. And so he said, well, well you're going to find that's a, pretty much the way it is here too. And so he got in his car and he went on down. And a little while later, somebody else came on by and they asked him the same question. They said, what kind of town is it? We're looking to, to move and you know, just wanted to see what kind of town this is. So he said, well, what kind of town did you come from? He says, where I came from, everybody's willing to help you out. They're real, real nice, real friendly. They'll invite people into their home and, and feed them and take care of them. He says, well, you'll pretty much find that this town is the same way. And so after he got in his car, he left. The little girl said to him, says, Grandpa, how come the first person you said this town is mean and the second person you said this town is nice? He says, well, people will find that whenever they move to a place, it's pretty much the same way as where they moved from because what you bring with you is what it becomes. If you're up on Facebook this morning, we threw a question up there. Why is it that when we look through the Bible and we see how Jesus dealt with sickness and disease, how he dealt with the enemy, that when he spoke to sickness and disease, when he dealt with the enemy, the enemy left. Sickness and disease left. And how many of you find that sometimes when you speak to sickness and disease, and sometimes when you speak to the enemy, he doesn't go anywhere? Why is that? Why is it that he doesn't seem to listen to me as much as he did to Jesus? Why doesn't he listen to me as much as he did to Peter, or John, or James, or Paul? What is it about me that we have that problem? Anybody interested in that question? Well, we're going to turn over here to Mark chapter 2. This is another healing story. One we refer to every once in a while, but haven't really delved into for, for a bit. But just a time in review, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, It said, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus had all authority given to him, and we go out in his name, we go out in that authority. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. As we submit to God that authority, we get to walk in. And when we resist the devil, when we speak to the devil, he needs to go. Now here in Mark chapter 2, it says in verse 1, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them and not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around places where when you open up to have a meeting, you can't get in. 
It's been a while since we've been in one, but we've, you know, every time we would go to Rama for the Winter Bible Seminar, that this would, this would be there. Brother Mike's been there. He's, uh, he's seen some of that. And when I first started going, we, had a, we only had a 2,000-seated auditorium. And that filled up fast. And then they had two overflow rooms. They would take the TV view and they would put that over into the overflow room and you could see it in, in there. And they always filled up. They didn't, there was never, if you didn't get there early, you didn't, you didn't get a seat. In fact, you had to get there early to get a seat in the overflow. And then they built a new building and this one held 5,000, had a balcony. And if you wanted to, you know how you can, you have your normal seating where you can cram extra seats in there. And so they crammed extra seats in there. And when they did that, they would get up to about 7,000. And after that, <clears throat> after that, they'd have to go into the overflow. And we were packing that place out. And people would get lined up. And so we would go to the morning session. Morning session, you didn't have quite as much demand. It still was full. But the evening session, that was the big one. And, you know, it would start at 7 o'clock. And the doors would open at 6. If you didn't get in the line by 5 you probably weren't going to get a seat anywhere near the stage or anywhere near the, the, the UV up in the balcony. And if you got there 5.30, 6 o'clock, you might get something way in the back, but probably you had to go into the overflow room. And so people knew this, and so what they would do is they would come out early and they would stand in line. And they would wait in line, sometimes an hour. Some, sometimes the line started forming at 3 o'clock in the afternoon for the doors to open at 6 so they get in and have church. <laughs> and this would go on night after night. Sometimes it was cold. Most times it was warm. But sometimes it was cold. didn't matter what the temperature was. No matter warm or cold, people would come on out. And they would fill the place up. And once they opened the doors, everybody's real anxious to get inside and to get the front seats. And so they would come on in. And sometimes they would come in with a stack of Bibles. And they'd just go on down the row and plop, 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 plop. And just start putting reserves, just holding the seats for the people that would come in in there afterwards, and so they eventually said, you and one other Bible, can, <laughs> that's it, you can't do anything more than that, and so you had to have, have people for that, but there was one time, you know, the, the people would they, would, they would get so anxious to get into the room that they would almost stampede women and children, almost, and so what we developed, we developed a, a strategy in this, and so... Um, uh, my, my wife said, I, I think how we usually did, she says, you go up and you get the seats, I'll guard the kids. <laughs> and so she would kind of stay back a little bit, and I'd try and stay up there with the crowd and, and get on out there and find a seat. And we weren't going for the front row. We weren't even going for the middle row. We were just trying to get some kind of a row where we get four people together and get uh, uh, some kind of seat in there. And that's, that's what we did. And, but anx just anxious. And the place was full. All the place was full, just just packed with people. Balcony, everything was, was all full. It was just wonderful to, to see that kind of enthusiasm. When I was going to Rhema, we used to go over to, to Grace Fellowship. Grace Fellowship had a 2,000-seated auditorium, 1,800, 2,000 seats. And they filled it up three times on a Sunday morning. Three times in, three times out. In fact, they had so many people who would come on out for the for the services after the first service and they had a whole big choir section after the choir was done singing in the second service because they already sat through the first service they would dismiss the choir and the choir would go someplace else and they would take all the people that were standing in the back and they would seat them up in the choir loft and they did that for the second service and they did that for the third service there were no extra seats in the in the place one time it was it was uh, uh, brother Dave Roberson came up to speak and 
Um, he's not always short-winded. And you, when you have that many services, you only have so much time for each service. No matter what, you have to get them out. And there was no extra parking. They had enough parking for the people that came, and that was it. So they had police officers that would come out on Memorial Drive, one of the big roads out there, and they would direct people in and they would direct people out. And the church actually had to pay for the police officers to come out and pay their salaries for the day so they would do this. Well, Dave Roberson came out and he was preaching the first service and instead of the normal time, hour and a half that they had budgeted or so, he went way over, way over. And so all the people who wanted to come in for the second service were in the street waiting to be able to get into the parking lot, but they can't get in the parking lot because the people in the first service are still in the first service and so they haven't gotten into their cars to get out. That was quite a day. And that was uh, something the police officer was not very happy with. Uh, whoever it was that was speaking, I don't even know if they knew who, it was, who was speaking. But that kind of anxiousness when the, when the Word of God is, is going on. We don't always see that. But in sometimes that you've, you've seen these things going. This is what's going on here. These people are excited about the Word. They're so excited that there's no room to get in. You can't even get in at the door. They didn't have fire marshals back then. There was no uh, maximum occupancy or anything like that. So they just packed out the place, and it was standing room only. You could not get in. You could not walk in. You could not do anything in, in there. It was that, uh, that intense. In Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it reads this way. Now, it happened a certain day. As he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Verse 3. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes who were sitting there reasoned in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So these are all excited people about the Word of God. And Jesus says one thing and gets them all upset. The man is let down. He can't get, they can't get in the room. They can't bring him into the room. So they look around. They're really anxious to get their friend into the presence of Jesus so that something can happen. And so they go up to a house that's not their own and they take the ceiling tiles off. Now, I don't know how their ceiling tiles are exactly arranged, but I can't imagine this is good. You've got a hole in your ceiling now and big enough that you can lay, uh, put a whole uh, bed with a paralytic and lower it right on down. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, if you looked at the man, he's paralyzed, he's laying on a bed, you probably would figure that he needs to be healed so that he can walk again. He's paralyzed. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, does he do this just to aggravate the crowd? Does he do this just to stir them up and get them, get them upset? Why is it that he says this first? Well, it must be there, there must have been a need, some kind of a need. Something that Jesus said, well, we've got to take care of this thing first. And so he took care of that first. And the, the folks in the, in the crowd who were all there excited about the meetings, excited about what was going on. Suddenly they say, why does this man speak? Blasphemy is like this. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, we can sit here and just point fingers at them, but how many of you, if a, if a preacher got up and said to, to somebody, 
your sins are forgiven you, we might have a problem with that. But Jesus did it for a reason here. But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said, now he didn't reason this because of their expressions. He didn't reason this because of anything that they said or anything that he picked up. He reasoned it because it came up in his spirit. In his spirit comes this. They're saying this about you. And he knew this. Well, if it came up in his spirit, probably God wants him to deal with it. Probably gave it to him for a reason. Sometimes, folks, we have to understand that when we get something in our spirit, it's not always something to keep to yourself. Maybe sometimes it is. But you ought to go to God and find out what should we do about this. Now, he got this in his spirit. If God's going to interrupt the meeting, there might be something you need to do about it right then. If you are talking with a friend, if you're talking with a neighbor, if you're talking with somebody at work, and as they begin to discuss something with you, up in your spirit comes something, should you just sit on that? Well, if God gave it to you then, what should you do? More than likely, I should do something with it right then. But, you know, seek after God and the thing, but at least seek after God on it. Sometimes I'll do this. Well, I'm at work right now. I really shouldn't talk about spiritual things here at work. Oh, God wasn't aware of that. You should have enlightened, enlightened him about these kind of things before that. No, if God gave it to you, you, sh- you should probably... Now, if God gives you something, it don't take you long to take care of it. It's when we get into human reasoning, it takes us a half hour, 45 minutes. When Jesus gave something, it was just a sentence or two. He got it done quick. You gotta, don't feel like you have to tell them what it is and then talk them into it. You just tell them what God tells you to tell them. So when he gives you something in your spirit and you perceive something is going on, we need to act on that more. As we begin to act on that more, God can give us more things because we're acting on it. If you just sit on it, don't wonder why God doesn't seem to give you, uh, speak to you in this way. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit, didn't say the spirit spoke audibly to him, said he perceived it. Understand that. Sometimes it's just a perception. They reasoned thus within themselves He said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? Which is easier? Well, he wasn't standing around for an answer. Now look at this. Which one is easier? Your sins are forgiven, or arise, take up your bed and walk? I think actually the second one was going to be easier, but that's probably not what he's getting at. If he said the first one, he's got a problem with the crowd now. If he would have just said the second one and he got up and walked, he would have been fine. But anyway, this is what he, he started off with. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, just to give you a few uh, highlights of, the, of, of this, when a person is paralyzed, when, par- when paralysis sets in on our body, it makes us first off immobile, right? You can't move. That's why you're on the bed. That's why you're being carried around. It makes us dependent on others. If you are paralyzed, you are dependent on other people to do certain things for you. It makes us incapable of going to the supply. I can't go to a a job. I can't go and and do things that other people do. I have to depend on other people to do something. Now, modern invention, people that are paralyzed 
can do a lot more than they used to, but there were no modern inventions back then. There was a bed and you laid on it. And other people picked up that bed and they carried you. There was no wheelchair. There was no motorized wheelchair. wheelchair. There were no uh, handicap accessible vans. There was a bed. And that was it. You're very dependent on other people. When paralysis gets hold of a body, it ceases physical mobility. When paralysis gets hold of a body, it ceases physical mobility, but allows basic functions. A person who is paralyzed can breathe, their heart pumps, they feel things, they can think, they can eat, they can digest food. Basic operations of the body are still going on, but they cannot move. Put this in your outline for you. When sin gets hold of a soul, it does the same. There's no forward mo- movement. When sin gets hold of your, of your soul, you don't, you don't move forward. You stay where you are. There's, there's no mobility. Your basic functions still go on. You can still basically function as a Christian, but you're not moving forward. It holds you back. Whatever we accomplish, it is because of others. When we're paralyzed, others walk for us. When sin gets a hold of us, we depend on their spiritual walk. Other people, we depend on other people to have a spiritual walk so that I have something. Others carry us, we depend on other people's prayers. When we're paralyzed, other people sometimes have to even feed us. We depend on other people to feed us the word. We can't go there and get it ourselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with having people prepare and, and get you to work just like if you are not paralyzed. How many of you go to restaurants? Yeah, you let somebody else prepare the food for you that day, right? It's not, nece- it's not necessary. It's not, it doesn't have to happen, but it's something that you go out and you do every once in a while. But most of the meals that you have, don't you fix them yourself? Absolutely. And that's how we, we ought to be. Now, let's take a look at uh, Jesus' words here, the power of Jesus' words. We see the power of paralysis. That's one thing that'll hold you back. But Jesus' words come in. There's power in Jesus' words. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic in verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven you. When he saw their faith. He saw their faith. The, the faith of the friends who brought this man in, who were so determined to get him to Jesus, that they opened up the roof to let him down. Now, when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, was it done? Sure was. Was it seen? Could you see sins being forgiven? I, I can't see it. Did Jesus believe it? Yeah, Jesus believed it. He believed that it was done. So the only thing that's lacking in this list is you couldn't see it. The only thing was, was going on, you couldn't see it. Maybe ever talked to people in the Christian family? And they say, well, I just don't feel forgiven. I don't feel like God has forgiven me. Well, that's bad. Don't do that. If God said he would forgive you, shouldn't you believe it? He said it. But here we have your sins are forgiven. It was done, was not seen, but Jesus did believe it. Now, let's take a look at some of these other examples. I'm just going to read these real quick to you. The nobleman's son. We just looked at this not uh, just recently. 
In John chapter 4, verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. Look what Jesus said, six words, Go your way, your son lives. Did Jesus believe those words when he spoke them? Was anything seen? No. Maybe at home it was, but they didn't know what they were seeing. And, but but Jesus, believed, Jesus believed it. He believed that it was done. The leper who was cleansed, Jesus said to him, go your way. I'm sorry, I copied the wrong one in there. When the leper was cleansed, he said that, it, we just covered this recently too. The leper came to him and he said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I am willing, be cleansed. And he was, now there we saw something. Jesus still believed the words that he spoke, or he wouldn't have spoke them, right? And the man's leprosy went away. And he said, go show yourself to the priest. The centurion, in Matthew 8, verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. The centurion only wanted him to do what? He wanted Jesus to speak a word. Does Jesus believe that the words he speaks will happen? Verse uh, 13 then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Jairus' daughter, when he came in, he said to them, make this, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. So he says to the dead girl, laying down, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Does Jesus believe that when he says it? Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. What well, was something seen here? Yeah, those that were in the room saw the dead girl rise up. They saw something. When he calmed the storm in Mark chapter 4, he says this in verse 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. He stands up in the storm and he says to the storm, Peace be still. Does he believe that? Sure, he gets up. He's going to get up in the middle of the storm on the bow of the boat. He's going to believe it. I didn't put this one, I don't think, in your, in your uh, outline. But how about the great catch? It's not healing related. But Luke chapter 5, verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Does Jesus believe what he says? Does he believe that if they would launch out into the deep, into the deep and put down their nets, that they would get a catch? He does believe that. And you can go story after story in the New Testament. Over, just keep on going with these these ones. How many times does Jesus speak something to someone for them to do something? Peter comes to him with the taxes. What's he say to Jesus? Or what's he say to Peter? Go, catch a fish. In the fish's mouth you'll find a coin enough to pay your taxes and mine. Does he believe that if he goes and catches a fish, the fish will have a coin in the mouth? He does believe that, doesn't he? Let's go back to the story here, chapter 2. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there 
and reasoned in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemy like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit, and they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. So this first statement that I made, I believe it, but you can't see it. So in order to show you that what I said first actually worked, I'm going to make a statement that you will see. Now, God wants us to get to a place where we believe without seeing, but most of us are stuck in a place where we believe after we have seen. Now, if you would turn over to Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Mark chapter 11 and verse 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, who is the he? For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in what? His heart. Who is the his? The whoever. But believes that those things he says. Who's the he here? The whoever. He will have whatever he says. Who's the he? It's the whoever. So whoever says to this mountain. Whoever would say this, that's who this verse is talking about. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about Jesus. It's talking about whoever says to this mountain. Whoever says to this mountain. So if you are one of those who says to this mountain, you're the he or she. He just said he. You're the, you're the person that's being spoken of here, right? So if you want to be the he spoken of here, you need to be the whoever. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. Now look at this. But believes that those things he says will be done. We sometimes miss what this part of this verse is saying. So I've put it in your outline and you can easily fill in the blanks here but believes that those things he says will be done. We have so much emphasis on believing the words that Jesus spoke, so much emphasis talking about the word and believing the word, and that emphasis is good, and these are good things to do, but that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying you need to believe what you say. We get lost because we sometimes just have faith in the I believe that what Jesus said is true. No, he's not saying that. Jesus is not saying that right now, is he? He is saying you need to have faith. You need to have a belief in what you say. Can you see that? I need to have faith that what I say will come about. Otherwise, no matter how many times I say it, 
it's not going to happen. Let's look at this verse again. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. You will have whatever you say if when you say it, you believe it. Now, Brother Hagen taught us on this and he said that the saying part is mentioned more often than the believing part. And uh, Jesus told him one time, he says, you're going to speak, teach more on the saying part than the believing part. So we got to say it, not think it. He didn't say whoever thinks. He says whoever says. So there's something about the saying. Now, all these uh, examples we use of Jesus. Is there a single time when Jesus thought it? We had times when the Pharisees were reasoning among themselves, when they said it in their heart. But we don't have that about Jesus. Jesus said it with his mouth. People heard it. You need to say it with your mouth. And then when you say it, you need to believe it. You need to have faith that what you said is going to come about. Not well, I hope that's true. I sure would like it if it were worked out that way. We can't do that. We've got to believe because that's what the verse says. So when he says to him, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Does Jesus believe this will happen? Yeah. He has to believe that what he says will come about. So if I say to this one, arise, take up your bed and go home. Arise, take up your bed and go home. Now, what if the guy argued with him? He said, well, I want to stay here in the meeting. But Jesus didn't say that. He didn't give him that option. He said, arise, take up your bed and go home. And he did. Exactly what Jesus said. Now, let's keep going on here. In Mark chapter 5, verse 28, remember the woman with the issue of blood? For she said, if only I may touch his clothes... I shall be made well. For she said, she said it with her mouth. She said, I know if I just get down to where Jesus is at, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be made whole. Did she believe it? Everything about this story tells us that she believed this. She had faith in it. She believed it. When she heard Jesus was coming around, she made her way over there. She got her way through the crowd. She fought all the things off that she had to fight, fight off. She touched the hem of his garment, and as soon as she touched the hem of his garment, power went out from Jesus. Jesus tells us that in the story. And Jesus wasn't even involved. He said, who touched me? Who touched me? The disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? Look at all the multitude thronging about you. They're all touching you. No, 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 no. No, somebody touched me, and healing power went out. Somebody touched me to draw healing power. Who did it? Somebody did it. He could tell because somebody touched me to pull something out. And he could tell. So he wasn't involved in it. It wasn't his faith. Somebody else did it. And she did the saying. For she said, If I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be healed. So she had to get in there. She had to say it. But she had to have faith that what she said would come about. No one else in that group was saying that. Or they would have pulled that same power. She's the only one who said, If I get in here, 
if I get before Jesus, if I can just get to the place where I can touch the hem of his garment, I know, I know, I will be made whole. Now, if I don't believe what I declare, will it be? If I don't believe the things that I declare about my life, are they, are they going to be? They aren't going to be. It's not going to, that's not going to come about. So be careful what you say will be. You need to be careful about the things that you say will be. Because without meaning to, we can devalue our words. I put this in your outline for you. If you come to doubt your own declarations, why would the enemy listen? If you doubt your own things that you are declaring, why would the enemy listen to you? There's no reason to. If you, if you doubt it yourself. Now, we can make some declarations. How many times have you made this kind of a declaration? You know, we'll, we'll go back onto the diet thing, whether you're trying to gain weight or lose weight. We've got people in all the different things. Most people are in that one spot or another trying to gain weight, trying to lose weight. They're doing, trying to do something. Most of the time, most people just aren't happy with where they are. <laughs> it's about what it is, isn't it? <laughs> we're just not we're, not, we're not happy with where we are. If we're skinny, we want to get bigger. If we're bigger, we want to get skinny. Everybody wants to change where they are. We're not all made the same, folks. Some folks are made bigger. Some folks are made smaller. Whatever it might be. But let's just say that you got it in your heart and you wanted to change because you believed that change was, was going to benefit you, was going to help you, and you have that set in your heart to, to do that. And you make a declaration. How many people have ever done this? Maybe on New Year's Eve. I will never eat another donut. <laughs> Anybody ever said that before? <laughs> I won't, or you, you, you find out something that, hey, about, hey about this have you ever watched one of those um, shows on TV uh, we just saw one came on I'm not sure why it came on uh, how, it, how it came up somehow this, this thing came up and it had this little show of a meat packing plant and all the things they were doing in the meat packing plant how many have ever seen what they do in a meat packing plant and you know if you watch those it can just get you going and you can just make a statement and say, I will never eat another hamburger because of what you, what you saw, right? If you ever saw how Scrapple was made. How many people like Scrapple? We will not tell you how it's made then. I don't like Scrapple. I can make a declaration and say, I will never eat Scrapple. And that's probably true because I never have. It just doesn't appeal to me. It appeals to some people. And if you all like it, you, you have all the scrapple you want. I'm not going not gonna to fight you for it. Now, I know what I like. <laughs> and scrapple is not one of them. But you watch some of these things and you see sausage being made. Oh, I'll never have sausage again. Oh, that's gross. Oh, that's disgusting. And we, we see these things and we make these declarations. I will never eat at McDonald's again. Ever made a statement like that? Yeah. And then, you know, a little while later, what happens? We find ourselves over in McDonald's. Well, I'm just eating here because, you know, there's nothing else here. There's nothing else around. This is all that I can do. I'm really hungry. We've got to be careful of some of the things that we declare. Because by declaring some of these absolute things, we are devaluing our word. And we are, devalu- we are causing ourselves to not have faith in the things that we say. Because when I say, I will never, and then I do. Have I not just devalued? The devil can just come on in. And when I say, I will not again, the devil will just say, well, you did it before. 
What will make you not do it now? So don't make declarations like that. Even if you want to, even if it's a good thing. I mean, some folks, maybe they want to give up a bad habit. Let's say you had the habit of smoking. You like to smoke. And you just decided that's not good for me. I don't want to do that. I don't like the smell. I don't like the cost. I don't like the, what it might be doing to my body. Whatever it might be, you just decide I'm going to give up smoking. And you say, I will never again smoke a cigarette. That's a pretty hard thing to live up to, isn't it? And if you ever, in your life, from this point on, smoke a cigarette, you have failed. Haven't you? What if you just said something like this? I will not, for the next week, smoke a cigarette. Isn't that easier to do? And it's pretty much just as good, isn't it? And you go on for the whole week and don't smoke a cigarette. Even if after a week you smoked a cigarette, you still lived up to your word. Because for one week you did not smoke a cigarette. Now see, it's a whole lot easier to do that too because the whole week you're going through, I only said a week. On the eighth day, if I want to, I can go ahead and have a cigarette. But I'm going to stay off this. For, for It's easy to do. You can be more tenacious about that. But if you just have this thing out there, well, I'm just going to do it this way. And uh, it's not going to help you out. I think I put this in here in your outline for you. Declarations over what you will eat or what you will do can have long-term effects. Too often are declarations from emotions based on sight, not beliefs based on principles. You get something that stirs up your emotions. You know, you see that special on meatpacking plants. Your emotions get stirred up and you make declarations like, I will never, ever eat another hamburger. And after you do that for uh, five days, six days, seven days, you get a hankering for a hamburger. How many of you have ever said, I will never eat pizza? Shame on you if you did. But I will never have another French, uh, I will not eat fried food things of this nature. That's not going to help you. But you see, sometimes we speak out of our emotions and we say these things out of our emotions and they're not based on beliefs, principles that have been established because of the Word of God. Here's another example. Maybe you've seen this. Surely none of you have done this. But you may have, if you've been in Walmart, walking around the Walmart, you may have seen this. Have you ever seen a parent just get so frustrated with your kid that's it. If you don't get back in that cart, you are grounded for life. Right? Can you actually pull that off? No, you can't actually pull that off. Have you ever heard this one? If you do that, no desserts for a year. Can you actually pull that off? If you don't listen, you're not going to come out of your room for a month. See, it's based on emotion. It's not based on principles. And after a few hours, a lot of times we relent. Folks, what happens to children when their parents say things based on emotion and don't hold to them? What do they think about their parents' word? It doesn't mean anything. They'll break it quite quickly. So when you make promises for good things, they're going to wonder about it then too, aren't they? What do you think the enemy perceives if he sees us making declarations, as soon as we fall off of that ultimate declaration, who's there to remind us? Who's there to tell us, you messed up? You didn't do very well. If I were to say, I'm not going to eat donuts for a whole week, 
And after the week, if I want to make a declaration, say, I'm going to not eat donuts for another whole week. I can do that. And after that week, if I want to make a declaration, say, I'm going to make a declaration that for another whole week, I'm not going to eat a donut. And you may do that three, four, five times, and then you may forget because you're not thinking about donuts anymore and even go off and, and not have any donuts for months. And then all of a sudden, you're presented with an opportunity to donut. And you can eat it without being condemned because you held up to your word. We've got to come become people who hold up to the words that we speak if we are going to be people who also believe the things that we say. Because if I continually break the things that I say I'm going to do, then what happens? I doubt myself when I begin to speak the Word of God. Well, that didn't happen before when I said it. We've got to become more disciplined. Jesus was a very disciplined person. If he said something, if he told himself, you are not going to eat, you're not going to do, he did it. And the devil knew that when Jesus spoke it, he had to listen because Jesus' words were powerful. But you see, sometimes we have devalued our own words. We've fallen out from that. If we're going to operate under authority, we've got to understand what it is to be an authority. If you make a declaration of from the authority point where you are, is this a good declaration? Make it not out of emotion. Make it out of principles. Not because your emotions got stirred up, because principles that you have have established a belief, and out of that belief, you begin to speak something. How many of you have ever tried to get into an exercise program? And you, you get into it, and you fail, and you get into it, and you fail. What happens if you just get up there and say, for the next week, I'm going to spend four days of that week doing whatever it might be. Weights, walking, bike, swimming, whatever it's going to be. You make that declaration, I'm going to do this four days out of the week. And if you did it five days, that's fine. You, you made the four, right? I'm going to do this. And you make that declaration, this is what I'm going to do. And you hold yourself to that. I will do this. How many people have ever had a hard time getting to work on time? What do we do? We make a declaration. For the next week, I will arrive at work 10 minutes early. And you, short ones. You make short declarations. And then for one week, you focus on that. I'm going to get there early. I'm going to do this. And if you don't want to say every day, say four. I'm going to get there 10 minutes early, four out of the five days. If you get there five out of the five days, you did, you did the four, didn't you? But if you missed up one time, you haven't lost. You can still keep going. Well, how am I going to get there 10 minutes early? Well, generally, you have to get up at least 10 minutes earlier than you're getting up now. I would probably try for 20 minutes earlier. And you go through to, to, to do the steps that you need to do, but every, every week you're focused on this. Every week you're, you're going to get this thing done. See, you're strengthening yourself. And you're strengthening the fact that when you say something, you believe you'll do it. There's a whole lot of folks out there 
And when they say something, they have no belief that they'll do it. That's why they say it. They're making threats to their kids. The kids don't believe they're going to do it either. And so it's not even a successful threat. What are your words? We have to believe the things that we say. If I don't believe the things that I say, they aren't coming about. What are your situations you're trying to change? Some of you folks are trying to change a job situation. Some of you folks are trying to change something going on in your own life. Some of you are trying to overcome something. Some of, some of you folks are, are pursuing whatever it might be. Declare with your mouth what you need to do. But keep it short. Keep it short. You may even just say, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning earlier by 30 minutes. That's a declaration, isn't it? And then maybe the next night you can say the same thing. I'm going to get up tomorrow 30 minutes earlier than I usually do. Start small. Just, just keep those things going on. It's, you can change these things, but not with these ultimate ones. Because you have to believe. We all like Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24, don't we? Whatsoever things you say, I can have whatever it is that I say. Yeah, but you've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. Too often, we are saying things that are in the Word of God based on emotion, not based on principles. They're not founded on beliefs. There's no beliefs there. There's no principles there. We need to get into the Word of God. If I'm believing God for something, get into the Word of God and renew my mind on what the Word of God says about my situation. Get yourself renewed on it. I already know all those healing scriptures. Go, go over them again. Listen to them again. Study them again. Yeah, but I already did that. Study them again. Keep on going. Don't, don't tell yourself, I know everything that there is. No, because you don't. Spend that, no, I'm going to spend more time. Sometimes you just make that declaration. You know what? I'm going to read all of the healing scriptures this week. And you go over all the healing scriptures. They even got it on CDs now. Different people have that. Brother Hagen has it. I saw a few other people have it, have it out there as well. You can find it on, probably on um, iTunes, stuff like that. You can download it and have people speaking to you just the healing scriptures. Get renewed on that. Let God speak to you some new things. If it's on finances, renew your mind on what the Word of God has to say about finances. Build up that belief and then make a declaration based on those things. And have a belief in what you say. It's important that you not only believe that Jesus' words are powerful, you need to believe that yours are. We can get to the place where Elijah, I love what Elijah said when he announced the drought. There shall be no rain on the earth except at my word. He doesn't say according to God's word. Until God says, he says there shall be no rain on the earth except at at my word. And if you go over to the New Testament, we just covered this on one of the Wednesday nights, so I'm just, going to just kind of highlight it. If you go over to the New Testament, you find out that why did it stop raining when Elijah had the drought? Why did it stop raining? The word of God told us because Elijah prayed. Did you know Elijah prayed for it to stop raining? And then why did it start raining? Because Elijah prayed. Apparently he got the word from God for both. And when he got the word from God, he prayed. 
brought those things about. But he said to the king, there shall be no rain on the earth except at my word. Elijah's a great guy to study. Remember when he's sitting up there perched on the rock and the king didn't like some of his words and he sent 50 men after him plus the commander? Man of God, come down from here, from there. And Elijah said, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him. And another 50 was dispatched with a leader. And he said, man of God, the king says, come down here now. Elijah says, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Imagine how that kind of power, that kind of confidence that what you say will happen. It didn't happen until he said it. King said another group of 50. And the commander there said, please have mercy on us. <laughs> and he, his attitude was completely different. And God said to him, Go on down with them. Don't be afraid. So Elijah got down and went down with them. Said the same thing to the king and then walked out. Have faith in your words. But understand your words have power. So use them wisely. Don't just speak. Think. Go over what the word of God has to say. What does the word say on this? Because when I speak something, those words will be powerful. You need to tell yourself that. When I speak something, my words carry power. Because God has said so. And in his, in, in his word, God has said that our words will have power. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's pretty powerful stuff right there. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words can speak life. Your words can speak death. What are you going to do with those words? Will you believe the words that you speak? If you're under the authority of Jesus, and see how he did it, you understand my words are powerful. They are powerful. I'm not going to speak out of emotion. I'm going to speak out of principles. I'm going to have my beliefs based on the principles of the word of God. And I will speak out of those. I'm not going to be moved by emotion anymore. I am going to stand on the principles of the word. Would you all stand up? Father, you have blessed us with the ability to have what we say. So long as we believe those things that we say will come to pass word says we shall have whatever it is that we say. So Father, we need to first off work on having that faith. Having those principles that we build our beliefs from and speak out of those beliefs not out of our emotion. And understand that our words that we speak have power. And I need to believe that my words carry weight. Carry weight with the kingdom of heaven and they carry weight with Satan's kingdom. And they will move things. Father, we thank you that we are not victims. We do not have to stand back 
and let things happen to us. But Father, we can speak to them and have faith to believe that what we say shall come to pass. Thank you for the help that you give us on this. To understand it and to fully implement it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, we have our communion Sunday. We moved it up from, la- from next week since Brother Doug will be here. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples into the upper room to have a last supper with them. The supper was part of their ceremony that they would do with the lamb, the Passover. But before he did all the things that they normally did with the Passover, he did some other things first. So before they even started with the Passover Seder, as they called it, he took the bread. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, remember what it is that I've done for you. The Word of God tells us that his body was beaten, he was whipped, he was bruised, so that our sickness and disease, the curse that was upon us, would then be upon him, and that he would bear it for us. And he knew we would forget. He knew that we would walk away from that. And how many times have Christians done this? Well, God must be teaching me a lesson with this. He cannot teach you a lesson with what he has redeemed you from. So he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to all the disciples. And he says, eat this and remember. Remember what I've done. Let's eat together and remember what the body of Jesus Christ means for us. After they did the Passover, had the meal, he brought the cup. And he said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant, blood just covered up sins. This one washes them away. And he redeemed us, bought us back, and made us blameless before him. Let's drink together and remember what he did for us. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, we're going to go on and have our supper here. Do we have any um, other praise reports? Vanessa said she received a cash award from my super supervisor. God makes a way just when we need it. <laughs> Isn't that good? It is good to have blessings of God come, especially in ways that we don't expect. Josiah has a praise report. Is this uh, several praise reports? Yeah. Okay, I saw the arrows there. Three months into starting my new job, we were acquired by another company. Because of the acquisition, I didn't receive a raise bonus since I started my job. It's been 14 or 15 months without me knowing. My manager requested it, and I got the approval for me to get a bonus. A bonus? I thank God for his favor and provision. That's the first one. Second one, outside of my main job, I've been able to earn extra income. I thank God for the opportunities and people he has blessed me with. That's super. Uh, number three, I thank, 
I, I think I have a possible water leak in my car. The mechanic wasn't able to find out where water was coming in, but I thank God that he didn't charge me for checking. So the water is actually from a rain and stuff like that? And here's the uh, fourth one. I had an eye appointment yesterday, and the cute lab technician. Oh, cute. Is that what we're talking about? Oh, okay. I'm thinking acute. I'm <laughs> and the cute lab technician told me I had beautiful eyes. I thank God for her and the compliment. All right. There we go. Yeah, she wasn't cute. Probably wouldn't mean as much, right? <laughs> That's good. I like I liked that one. <laughs> 